Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shawley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. Uh, today, coming to you from Manchester for the Conservative Party Conference. Uh, I've just stepped outside, so I'm between the Conference Centre and the Midland Hotel. Uh, it's just started drizzling, obviously, uh, because we're in Manchester. Coming up on today's episode of the podcast, we've got the latest Times Radio focus group. Well, obviously, I want Labour to come in power. I've, I decided that a while ago. Um, I'd avoid Conservatives because they've let me down. I've been a Conservative voter for as long as I can remember. James Johnson, former number 10 pollster in the chair, asking people who voted Conservative in 2019, now say they're going to vote Labour. Is there anything Rishi Sunak can do to get them back? That's coming up in just a moment, but first, it's time to talk to these two. The Columnists on Times Radio. And we're joined live here on the Times Radio stand by Rachel Sylvester as everyone on Monday. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Matt. And Ian Martin. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Are you having a nice time? Yeah, it's all right, actually, as, as, as party conferences there go. There it seems a bit quiet. A bit quiet. There aren't many people here. Yeah, though we both got stuck in the in the queue to get yeah. in this morning, so yeah. it's clearly busier today than yesterday. But they did say that because there wasn't a separate media entrance because there were so few people. Oh, so. oh right. Oh. <laughs> well, that's good investigative journalism. <laughs> I failed. I yeah. saw uh, Michael Gove in his running gear this morning in the queue, so everyone what is having thought. to queue up. Uh, it was quite a sight. <laughs> It's uh, very odd. The exhibition hall, where normally it's kind of full of businesses, lobbyists, it's basically Conservative Party yeah. branded stands, isn't it? <laughs> an awful lot of them are. So between and, and uh, so looking out over oh, this little coffee shop bit here, there's an awful lot of stuff which would normally be elsewhere has been dragged yeah. into this room. And then Everything's nor- really big. Normally all the, all behind the stands. that black curtain is the where where the speeches are. Yeah. That's yeah. not that's the media room and the speeches are happening in the side room they used to put the media in. But we can see from here Conservative Party stand, Conservative Friends, Conservative there's a youth thing. It's sort of a lot of Tory branded yeah. Yeah. exhibition stands. And a lot of businesses have just decided to invest put all their money in, in being at Labour Conference and yeah. a lot of PR agencies and, and, and lobbyists. It would be quite funny, actually, if the general election produced some sort of surprise and they had to rush back. If but only to I'm annoy the lobbyists. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating, though. You can yeah. sort of tell what business thinks is yeah. going to happen, for sure. Well, last year at Labour Conference, we'll be interested to see what it's like next year, but last year, next week, but last year, Labour was sort of a bit surprised by just how many suits there yeah. were. Yeah. You know, corporate... You know, schmoozing. I, I think, think it's, it's going to be even, it's gonna be even more, more of that yeah, this, yeah. this year. It's just, it's just the expectation of, uh, of of business that there is going to be a change of a government, government yeah, 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 which looks pretty likely at the moment. Well, one, there might not be that many people here, but one person who is here today is Liz Truss. Her Lord. spin doctor has been going around telling everyone in person what time she's arriving. In fact, I think it's about now. So set your watches. Uh, she's she's appearing at this growth rally uh, a bit later on. It's interesting, Ian, some of the people I've spoken to have said that even though they agree with her, that she's not the right person to be trying to sell this message exactly a year after her party conference sort of collapsed around her ears. Yeah, I think you're putting it very politely. (laughs) Um, We're all getting those same press notices um, daily, actually, telling us uh, when Liz Truss's next uh, pronouncement is going to be. I think the only thing that people would really be interested in in hearing from from Liz Truss is some acknowledgement about the scale of the mistakes made whether you believe I'm, I'm for low taxes but I'm not an arsonist and not for um, blowing up the economy and uh, but there's been very little humility from her or acknowledgement that if you I mean, Margaret Thatcher 
was strategically, you know, very, um, very kind of bold, but and thought big, but tactically very, very careful. Yeah. She took years to do stuff which um and actually put up taxes to start with she put up taxes yeah. but she also i mean she scrapped exchange controls on money going in and out of the country was very nervous about that and took her six months to do that and she was initially skeptical when lawson and Howe took the proposal to it turned out to be one of the most transformative reforms of the uh, of, of the 70s and 80s so she was always until you get to 87 she was always worried about uh, about overextending yeah. uh, or exhausting her political capital and of course, uh, Liz Truss took a very different approach, which was to just, just sort of go for it and think that it was almost like a cartoon version of Margaret Thatcher yeah. or a kind of YouTube short version <laughs> of, um, of the Thatcher years yeah. in 49 days. But what's extraordinary is she hasn't acknowledged since, you know, the economy crashed at all and went belly up. It was a total disaster, including, as you say, this time last year, that there was a problem. She seems yeah. to be saying, I was right all along. I bumped into someone who used to work for her who said she's the only woman in politics who hasn't got a shred of imposter syndrome. And in fact, <laughs> she could do with a bit more of it. Um, and it's, I think a lot of conservative MPs who are here who aren't her supporters, actually quite a lot of conservative MPs aren't here apart from her supporters, yeah. but the ones who are are really frustrated. I was speaking to one minister just now who was saying, you know, she's a sort of pound shop Boris Johnson at least when Boris Johnson turned up he would steal the show but he did it with a real kind of charisma, he was always in the past, the coming man the potential prince over the water whereas yeah. nobody really thinks Liz Truss is the coming woman she, she was Prime Minister, she messed it up spectacularly disastrously and she won't admit it it's it, it, very it, it odd tell you something that when boris johnson isn't here in a blaze of self-publicity yeah. which always used to be the sort of well, party conference circus it's really interesting because it, it, someone was saying to me last night that actually for about 10 years tory party conference was dominated by the by the by the boris show yeah when he was mayor was he did he want to become prime minister you bet yeah these huge rallies that he would do with uh, conservative uh, home the website which were very well attended and that's all gone now and actually it means i think it's very di for journalists trying to get a story going about uh, famous last words maybe there is some this could be a massive split at, um conference in the next 24 hours but for journalists trying to get a leadership narrative going <laughs> It's actually a bit sort of flat, really. I mean, you know, who, if, if Sunak loses, you know roughly who the contenders are going to be. And there isn't really any, there isn't that kind of energy at, at, uh, at, at conference, which will suit Sunak just fine, actually. Yeah, that's true. Because the Boris Johnson, you know, I remember sort of the, uh, maybe definitely, you know, Manchester and Birmingham as well. Sort of the news that Boris had arrived at a train station and he was sort of trapped by journalists the whole mm. way through. And mm. he'd turn up and wave a brick or a brush or, or whatever it might be. But that just doesn't work. If you've been, in Liz Truss's case, you've been Prime Minister and then you turn up. Yeah. You've been Prime Minister and crashed the economy. It's yeah. not sort of just you've been Prime Minister. It's mm. the, you're not the potential ho great hope. You're the reminder of disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's move on actually, let's just take a listen to, uh, on the question of tax cuts, which is the thing that she's calling for, which is one of those things, the more she calls for it, possibly the less likely it'll happen. Not least because the Labour Party, have you seen the Labour Party ad where they've put Rishi Sunak in Liz Truss's pocket? Mm. Um, Does anyone believe that, by the way? No, it's not really. No, but on the other hand, I think people do still remember that they, they still know their mortgages have gone up yeah. and they still feel there's a sense of incompetence around the Tory party because of Liz Truss so they've lost that was the moment they lost their I reputation mean just, for I think just being in the same photo as Liz Truss is probably quite bad for his brand <laughs> let's take a listen this is Jeremy Hunt was on Times Radio uh, this morning 
talking about tax cuts. Let's take a listen. If we want faster growth and an end to taxes ever ratcheting higher, it's possible to do that, but there are no shortcuts. At the moment, if we had big tax cuts, they would be inflationary because we'd be putting extra money into people's pockets. They would spend it and that would push up prices. I don't agree with people like the Institute for Fiscal Studies who say that this shift to a more highly taxed economy is likely to be permanent. It doesn't have to be permanent. You have to take the difficult decisions. I mean, that just go, goes straight to the point that you were making, wasn't it? Ian? it yeah. if, it, it's one thing having the ambition of having lower taxes, but you do need to work out how you're going to get there. Just, yeah, just cutting them willy-nilly doesn't work. And there's obviously a bit, there's a bit of a rebellion brewing with a group of Conservative MPs saying that they... Uh, you know, may not vote for the measures that are in the awesome statement. Uh, let's see. I'd be surprised if that actually happens. Yeah. But I, uh, it seems pretty obvious that they are going to do something on tax. He, he may. Ha- uh, let's see how much flexibility he has. But I think there'll be something in the in the spring of some kind of offer, which leads me to conclude that you're looking at an awesome election because the old sort of treasury view is that it takes about six months for measures yeah, yeah, to, to bed in for people yeah. to feel the effect. So I would, I would say the, the, the row is in a sense a bit bogus, that he's, it's clearly a holding statement. And also the thing that the, this so-called tax pledge they signed is actually about opposing any new tax rises. Well, I don't think anyone thinks that they're, that they're going to do that. Let's just yeah. move on, because I want to ask you, Rachel, with your, your Education Commission hat on. Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary today, is going to call for a ban on schools' pupils using mobile phones during lessons and breaks. Now, I looked this up. And I wrote a front-page story in the Times in February 2019 when Nick Gibb announced this exact thing. And, I mean, I didn't say this at the time because I was going to get a splash of the Times. It wasn't new then either. <laughs> uh, what does this tell us about the, the level of big thinking going on in the Department of Education? Oh, the goodness. Education Secretary's big announcement is a thing which they announce almost annually. Yeah, and, you know, five Education Secretaries in a year, it really is not serious and it's very depressing. Um, what's interesting, though, is, um, as we've reported in the Times, if Rishi Sunak is going to announce the um, idea of a British baccalaureate to replace A-levels, that is pretty big and that is radical Um, and that's something that the Times Education Commission endorsed of course but the problem with this mobile phone thing is that I agree with all of that but on the other hand you do need to integrate technology much more into schools so children do need to use their laptops, they do need to learn how to understand how AI is going to influence um, education, they need to think and they need to acquire all those skills and learn how to interrogate the information that they find online rather than just learning facts and then actually making it a part of your learning because actually my daughter's talked about this about how they've done quizzes and things they get told to you know research because ultimately that's what they're going to be doing when they're at home doing homework they'll be looking it up online so yeah what do you think here i'd just ask don't schools effectively have this power anyway really doesn't it doesn't a a head teacher who, who wants to ensure that people aren't using mobile phones during lessons can just say that that's the case so it's um, a very strange story and five years old five years old or even ten years old (laughs) yeah definitely wasn't uh, uh, well it's true it was true it was true that they were trying (laughs) it was true that that Nick Gibb had told me this yes but it wasn't necessarily brand spanking you at the time exactly across the UK on DAB online and on your smart speaker Matt Chorley on Times Radio Matt Chorley coming to you live from the Conservative Party Conference in Manchester, still joined by Ian Martin and Rachel Sylvester. 
Uh, and we've now also been joined by Samuel Kasumu, who was Boris Johnson's race advisor in number 10. And his book, The Power of the Outsider, is out now. Samuel, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Matt. The Power of the Outsider. You've come to the most insidery event in oh, the world. Oh, the great world. irony, of course. Do you like, do you like the party conference? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you here? I don't know. <laughs> well, we're glad that you are. We're glad yeah. that you are. Um, and we should talk about... Um, uh, the Conservative Party's relationship with the race. You were Boris Johnson's race advisor. What did you make, first of all, of Swella Bravman last week saying that multiculturalism had failed, that integration wasn't working? Is she right? I, it, I, I found the speech quite strange, to be honest with you. Firstly, because I don't think Swella Bravman could give you a really accurate definition of multiculturalism. I was trying to figure out what, what she meant by that. Did she mean that we have too many people with different faiths, in face like Hinduism, like the Prime Minister does in the UK, because we're you know, supposed to be a Christian country or what have you. Does he mean that we have too many foreign restaurants in the country, too many, like, I don't know, curry houses, Chinese restaurants, etc.? Or does he mean that the people choose to uh, choose to hang around with folks that are similar to themselves? But we all do that. You know, psych psychologists and sociologists will tell you that is an innate natural disposition to hang around with that which is familiar. So I don't think she really understands what the term multiculturalism is, to be completely honest with you, and that's part of the problem. Also, I feel like some of the points he was trying to raise were probably about two decades too late. You know, Trevor Phillips used to talk about all these things, uh, you know, in the in the late 90s and early 20s. It was very interesting at the time, but we've progressed as a as a nation. And I think, bluntly, she, she's probably behind the times. What What did you make of it, Ian? Because it was it strikes me that she was trying to conflate lots of things, and that mm. wanting to crack down on the small boats uh, is clearly her her priority. But actually. If there are too many people in the UK, it's because they're arriving here legally yep. under the government's immigration rules. Yeah, but I think you're exactly right. I, I do. Th I did read it as an argument about definitions, because the the, the conception of multiculturalism. If you go back 20, 30 years ago, I mean, it, it, it in its origin, it was really about the idea that you had lots of different cultures, but you didn't have one unifying yeah. culture. So that was that's the argument I remember 30 years ago. People disputing. She's, she's not. She, she was clearly saying that Britain has a successful multi-ethnic society, as one of the most successful multi-ethnic societies in, in, in certainly in, in Europe. But I th you look how cleverly and uh, various other members of the cabinet have disagreed with her. But I yeah. think exactly as you say around that question of the definition. In fact, we could take a listen. This is James Cleverly was on uh, Times Radio yesterday explaining why he disagreed with, uh, with Svella Barber. I think the fact that Suella is in the role that she's in, the Prime Minister is in the role that he's in, I and others are in these roles, show that we, as I say, almost uniquely in the world, have been brilliant at integrating people who have come to this country. And I think the really important point is that we continue to integrate and we do not allow this fragmentation. And, and I do sometimes worry that when people say multiculturalism, what they're talking about is that fragmentation. So, I mean, what's so odd about having this conversation right now is that the Conservative Party's cabinet is the most diverse it's ever been. Yeah. To have the Prime Minister, the Foreign Secretary and the Home Secretary, all people of colour, it just seems a weird thing for the Conservative Party that it's sort of becoming broadly essentially a race row. Yeah, well, firstly, the Conservative Party is not trying to be involved in a race row. Yeah. Suella Braverman yeah. is trying to pick a fight with folks who are just going around living their ordinary lives. She's trying to distract people from the fact that she's a failed Home Secretary, bluntly. Um, she hasn't stopped the boats. She will not stop the boats between now and the next general election. Mass, we, ha we do have, by any stretch of imagination, mass migration. Total migration of over a million last year. Net migration of past 600 
200,000, all on her watch. She should be focusing on trying to fix or deal with those challenges and have really important conversations around the trade-offs. Do we want so many international students? How do you deal with the skill shortages? How do we get, deal with the aging population? These are the questions that she should be answering in speeches, not trying to create wedge issues that bluntly just don't really exist. Most people in the country would agree that the current uh, levels of migration are probably not sustainable for an island like an island like this. And so that's not an issue. So there is no, there's no argument here. Yeah. Uh, the argument is completely between Suella Braverman and herself. And she needs to <laughs> you know, look in the mirror and try and sort it out. Rachel. I read this completely as a leadership thing from Suella Braverman. She's trying to position herself as that figurehead of the Tory right for the leadership contest that she believes is coming after the general election because she's, she's decided that Rishi Sunak is going to yeah. lose and is going to be out. Yeah. I, I tell you one thing that Conservatives like uh, above anything else and one of the most unifying factors is we love to win. All right, behaving the way Suella is behaving, speaking the way Suella is speaking is not how you win an election. I would be very surprised if come the next general election, Suella Braverman is still the Home Secretary. Because if she is, Rishi Sunak will have to essentially just write off any of his chances of winning. Have you spoken to her about this? Suella? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, to be honest with you, I mean, when I was in Downing Street, I was closer to pretty... Uh, Patel, I worked with her on the things like the response to the Windrush scandal, etc. So me and Pretty were, you know, very much aligned with her when I ran to be the London mayor. She was uh, one of my first backers. Suella, I know guys in her team, but I'm struggling to understand her reason for existence, to be honest. And if she, if, you know, there are lots of ifs in this, if the Conservatives do lose the next election and she becomes leader, could you stay in a Suella Varma Conservative Party? Next question. <laughs> do you think she's racist or playing the race card? I think she has personal challenges. So do you think she's racist? I think she has personal challenges, and some of those challenges are probably because of some of her experiences growing up. She lived in uh, the London Borough of Brent, which is obviously one of the most diverse boroughs in the, in the country, and she's evolved some of her views about certain groups because of those personal experiences. I always say seek first to understand and then to be understood. So when people express themselves in very peculiar ways, very often it's because if you track back to their, you know, some of their experiences growing up, there are probably some, some issues there that she probably needs to talk to someone about. But if she does need to do that, I'm not so sure she's fit to be the Home Secretary of uh, one of the most successful, diverse countries in the world. It's frankly embarrassing and probably she needs to you know, reflect on whether or not she's in the right position. Some, some people will be listening to this and think it's a very weird thing we're having a conversation with a young black guy who's in the Conservative Party about whether or not uh, the Asian Home Secretary is racist. How does that, how does that work? Well, Priti Patel is the Home Secretary, she's not racist. Yeah. Uh, James Clary is foreign secretary, he's not racist. Yeah. The Prime Minister is, is someone of Indian heritage, he's not racist. I'd ever called Suella Braverman racist. I just think she has some personal challenges yeah, yeah. that she needs to deal with. And guess what? You can be black, white, Asian and have personal challenges. That's the beauty of the human race. We all have issues. We all have things we're trying to grapple with and deal with. But we can be respectful. We can be humble. We can try to bring people and carry people along with us. And Suella Braverman is not really up for that. She's too busy probably trying to become the next leader of the Conservative Party, which I doubt she will be because I think our members are, are far more sensible than to, to do such a thing. I'll try once more. If she becomes leader, will you stay in the party? Next, well, is that the last question? So no more questions. No more questions, <laughs> so you have to answer it, yes or no. I, I'm focused on, on myself and not Suella. I mean, that doesn't sound like a yes. I think so. So look, uh, I, I believe in uh, people being able to redeem themselves. Mm. I think it is not. It is not. <laughs> it is not too late for Suella to change tack, 
project yeah. become, become more tactful, more respectful, more interesting, yeah. more nuanced. And so I hope maybe maybe party conference and James cleverly giving a kick up the backside will be that be Tom she needs yeah, yeah. to change course and, and be a better home secretary and focus on her job and not giving nonsense speeches in, in Washington. Samuel Kasumu there, a former race advisor for Boris Johnson and uh, Rachel Sylvester and Ian Martin. You can read them in The Times. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box up next is the focus group you're listening to the red box podcast now it's time for this the big thing on times radio yeah every month we carry out a focus group here on Times Radio uh, with uh, former number 10 pollster James Johnson now runs JL Partners of course and James is here James how are you? I'm right, very well well this is exciting doing a focus group at conference so, all the, so the Conservative Party faithful can stand by the Times Radio stand and listen to how, how badly they're going down with members of the public. Yeah, and, and, and be clear that, you know, we're not stitching the focus group up. We're you know, not we're not, up. We haven't made anyone up. You know, they're real people. Real um, people. Now, who are the people in this month's group? So, we have gone for something a little bit different this time. We've gone for people that voted Conservative in 2019 and now say they would vote Labour. So, it's that switcher group. A little bit harder for the Conservatives to win back, uh, perhaps, than those undecideds we usually speak to. Um, and they're from three key constituencies. Cost Charlton and Wallington, uh, Berry. Uh, and also uh, Bassett Law. So three key uh, constituencies to the next election. So these are, they did vote Conservative, they've switched, and we're saying, is there anything that would get you back, basically? Exactly. OK, but let's, let's dive in then. Uh, let's be honest, the group weren't feeling very upbeat about the state of the country and the cost of living really front and centre. Let's take a listen. There's so many areas where things seem to be really out of control and um, negative. NHS is in an absolute mess, massive waiting lists on there. They've borrowed so much money. People coming into the country don't seem to be able to get on top of that. Nothing seems to be going right, really. Nothing seems to be going really well at the minute. I feel like over the last 10 years of my life, it's just kind of gone in a, in a downward direction. Interest rates through the roof. Standard living has dropped as well, even... Like even your local trip to Asda or Tesco, you know, fuel prices, uh, inflation, it's just looking like we're in a really bad spot. Um, I was, I'm a big conservative fan. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not as, I'm not as much anymore. Um, I'm not happy with the way the country's heading at the moment. And I don't think they're doing the things that they should be doing. I mean, that's pretty grim listening for the... I mean, these are people who voted for Boris Johnson in 2019. It's not a bunch of lefties we found to kick the Tories. Um, and it's, it's a sort of sense of despair and despondency and that nothing can be done. You know, go out there saying, I was a big fan of the Tories, but I'm not anymore... You know, they've made that mental leap, it feels. Yeah, I think I think they have. And it's really one of those things I think we were saying earlier in the year. You know, they haven't really, these switches moved on from some of the chaos that was happening at this conference last year. Um, yeah. You know, whether it was Liz Truss and, and the, you know, the, the tax U-turn and what they saw as general Tory incompetence and chaos. And, and that really hasn't left them. I think their main issue is inaction. I think they've noticed that, you know, Rishi Sunak might be saying a few things that they like the sound of, but they don't feel like anything's changing because of it. And that's really difficult to shake for a politician it's interesting that but let's move on then to uh, this was them uh, you asked them to describe the performance of the government in one word overwhelmed maybe shocking disappointed unorganized uh, lost 
appalling. Flailing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you can make of that. Put that in a word cloud, James. It, well, yeah, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a very flattering <laughs> one. Not going to form the basis of any birthday present for that one. Um, I think. Look, this is they sort of. I always remember um, Deborah Mattinson, Gordon, Gordon Brown's uh, previous pollster, now polling for Keir Starmer. I remember an event I went to in 2017, and she she was saying about how when she worked for Gordon Brown, she said a tipping moment was when the public started to feel sorry for him. Yeah. Um, and I think we're seeing you know that happening with these switches. It's not just that they think that the government's a bit nasty or a bit, you know, uh, uh, you've got the wrong priorities. They think that and they think it's lost. And, uh, you know, they sort of feel like, you know, they're overwhelmed. They can't deal with it. And that's how they view Rishi as well. Because they're not saying Rishi Sunak is strong. They're not saying, you know, he's trying to fight this tide. They're sort of saying that he's getting sort of sucked out with it as well. There is a sort of sign, oh, bless him. There is. There is. It's not great that. And that's something that actually Rishi Sunak will clearly be trying to turn around. And you can see that in some of their messaging. I think you're going to see on Wednesday at the speech him trying to sort of come across as a bit stronger, a bit more in charge of things. Yeah, yeah. In fact, let's take a listen then. This is what they had to say uh, about Rishi Sunak. He he sort of doesn't really show how he really feels about anything. He seems very much like a mouthpiece. He doesn't seem like a real leader to me. Like David Cameron, I was a big fan of. He seemed, he was a, he was a good leader, and he. Uh, but with Ricky, it's not what he's not what I, he's more of a businessman. I think he has this idea of what uh, being cool is, and you know, I think he was wearing Palm Angels at a press conference one time, and that just really put me off him. He's all about the money, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? He can't relate to to the common working class people, like. Like us, people who sometimes yeah. need, you know, who have to graft to two jobs sometimes. He's probably the worst conservative leader we've had. I mean, not very positive, James, uh, overall. And uh, I mean, the fact that one person called him Ricky isn't the biggest Ricky endorsement. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Look, I mean, I don't think there was one positive. No. Uh, and uh, for those people who've been saying about our focus groups, oh, you know, you get people on every month who, you know, love, 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 love Rishi Sunak, don't like Keir Starmer. Uh, uh, this clearly does show that the switches are. Yeah. A sort of a slightly different beast. And that's partly because normally we have undecided swing voters, people who tell the market research company you find them, I don't know how I'm going to vote. And actually, they're a big chunk of the electorate, yep. but this is a slightly different chunk. These are people who have made that switch already, and it, it doesn't feel like they're going to... It's been a long time since we've had anyone say benefit of the doubt. Yes, that, uh, those, those days certainly those days seem long gone. gone. Well, sitting here in the uh, the big main hall, uh, the, the sort of the conference... Um, exhibition area of the Toy Party Conference. There's lots of banners hanging down with uh, Rishi Sunak's pledges on and long-term decisions for a brighter future. That's the slogan of the conference, but what do the group think about that? Um, Yeah, I feel like it's quite contradictory um, of a slogan, um, especially when we're looking at the HS2 and also the Rosebank oil that's just been agreed. And I just feel like there's all these little things that are meant to be amounting into a long-term future, but I feel like they're actually going the complete opposite way. We need things to get better soon, not carry on like this or potentially get worse. Is it a better future? Will we see that better future? Are we talking, you know, another generation? I don't really trust the party enough to... uh to believe that slogan. I don't want to wait a long time for a fix. 
and as, as well they've been in power since 2010 and they've had plenty of time to try and fix the problems they need to do stuff right now really um because i don't think they'll be around to implement whatever it is he's dreaming of plus the nhs doesn't have time on its hands to wait that's really interesting james so so clearly you know rishi sunak's long term was it well, i forgot what it, what it is really long-term decisions for brighter future clearly trying to feed into a bit of david cameron in 2014 2015 the long-term economic plan but they're just saying, what do you mean long-term? We need stuff done now. You've had 13 years. What do you mean long-term? Like, actually, maybe long-term decisions for a brighter future is will be a better slogan for an opposition trying to come in than a government that's been in power for such a long time. Yeah, look, I can see certainly see what they're going to try to do with that. They're trying to sort of set themselves apart from perhaps politicians that have chased votes in the past, um, in, their, in their sort of phrasing. But look, there's two things there. One is, as you say, they want fixes now. And the other is, is that they don't necessarily think the nature of decisions that are being made, such as, you know, rumours about HS2, such as changes on net zero, they don't necessarily think those in themselves are particularly long-term decisions. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, one of the more uh, uh, acute criticisms or, or correct criticisms, I think, of, of Rishi Sunak's plan at the moment that I've seen is this idea that a lot of the announcements are about not doing things yes. rather than about setting out a plan to do things. And you can see a bit of that, that come through there. This is the problem with long-term decisions. They're not long-term decisions. It's the decision to put off a ban on petrol cars or to put off building something. That's not a long-term decision. In fact, that feels like quite a short-term decision to get through the next 12 months. No, I, I expect number 10's response to that to you would be, well, wait to the speech, you know, we've yeah, got more announcements yeah. to come, wait for the manifesto. But, uh, yeah, certainly not the best start for it. Or at least they don't naturally associate with the Conservatives at this point of point in time. That could change. And also, you know, if stuff starts to, uh, you know, change around them in the run-up to the election, that could could latch on a little bit more but at the moment it's not that it's also a big switch given that at the start of the year you had five pledges which are all five things we're going to do this year and now suddenly he's doing long term you know yes and I see they're now badged at, at this conference on the on the banners yeah. that's now, they're now banned as our immediate priorities so uh, you know those five now long term later yeah. Uh, so yeah the, the voters not quite getting that yeah well it turns out we can't really understand it either across the UK on DAB digital radio on the free Times Radio app and on your smart speaker, Matt Chorley on Times Radio. Very good morning to you. It's Matt Chorley coming to you live from the Conservative Party conference in Manchester. It's really starting to busy up, actually. There's a lot of sort of crowds of people. Actually, I think there might just be a queue for the coffee shop. Um, uh, but we've seen, we've seen, I've seen now several MPs. Michael Fabricant was here. Deanna Davidson is loitering. She's going to do the egg and spoon race just after 11.30. I'm still joined on the Times Radio stand by James Johnson from JL Partners, former number 10 pollster, doing our monthly focus group here on Times Radio. Today with a group of uh, voters from, remind me where they're from, James? Berry, Bassett Law, Carl Shulton and Wallington. Very good. And they're people who voted Conservative in 2019 and now say they're going to vote Labour. So it's trying to get under the skin of why they're doing that and what might tempt them back. Certainly. And I just remembered that we didn't do our usual disclaimer at the start top of the yeah, show, should, which I you know, should, should know off by heart by now. I, sh- I should. Uh, just to say, focus group, not a poll. And yes. that's the key thing that listeners need to realise. We're not trying to be representative here. We're digging deeper into the opinions underneath the polls. So if people say, oh, well, you know, all these people think X, the polls don't show that, it's not intended to be representative. And that's a really, really key, key point for us to get across. Very good. Right. Uh, so we've done what they thought of Rishi Sunak, which is not a lot. But... How did the group respond when asked to sum up Keir Starmer in one word? Vague. The first word was actually watery, but I thought that was quite rude, so I've said change it to vague. For me, it's a fresh start. I, I just I can't think of a word, really, because uh, I just don't know anything about the chap at all. I'll be really honest, I don't know who he is. I guess the word would be unsure. I don't want to call him a liar, but some people do. I don't know, like going back on policies, but... Uh, 
I would say probably typical politician because when they're trying to get into power, all they do is slander the other party to try and make themselves look better. Uh, this is just a reminder. This is a group of people who voted Conservative in 2019 and now say they'll vote Labour. Vague was about the most complimentary thing there, James. Yeah, yeah, and uh, even that lady had to revise it up from watery. Um, <laughs> and, and look, we, we had we had you know someone in there who didn't know who Kistama was as well. Uh, look, this is just a reminder about where public opinion is at the moment. Very frustrated about Rishi Sunak, very let down by the Conservatives, but they are not warming to Keir Starmer. He's yeah. a sort of, not only he's a bit of a non-entity for them, but for some of them he's quite negative. You heard there somebody say, I've heard people say about him he's a liar. You know, other people he's a bit vague, he's not really, he's wishy-washy. You can see how the Conservatives will be jumping on this yeah. in a campaign. And I think, by the way, going back to the slogan, that seems to be, I, I imagine that's partly what Number 10 are thinking. They want to position Rishi Sunak as the long-term guy who's going to make serious decisions and has a bit of purpose about him, whereas Keir Starmer is this sort of flip-flop who doesn't really know what he stands for. And you can see the kernels of that there. The that problem goes, is that, that they're so negative to, about the Conservatives, it doesn't make a difference. This, is, this goes back to what we talked before about how political parties use focus groups. You listen to how people are talking about your opponents and then you find a way of sort of repeating that back to them and then, you know, like take back control or get Brexit done. Those phrases which, which often come from normal people talking about it. Yeah, and I think when we say flip-flopper and when people say that, I think it's really important to stress that when people said that about Ed Miliband or Jeremy Corbyn, they meant that he was, they meant that those, those politicians were weak. Mm. When they say it about Keir Starmer, it's less weak, it's more sort of, what is he in this for? Yeah, is he yeah, just yeah, in this yeah, to yeah. get elected? And, and, and they, they, don't, they don't like that. For, for all of his other faults, they didn't feel that about Jeremy Corbyn. Well, let's move on. Uh, so they, this group all say they're going to vote Labour at the next election, but let's have a listen to how enthusiastic they feel about that. Probably Labour, just simply because I'm, uh, you know, I've got fatigue from, uh, from the Tories. Well, I'd potentially spoil my vote, uh, as I feel it gives a louder message. Um, I've always voted Labour up until last time. That's the only time I've ever voted Conservative. So it definitely won't be Conservative again. Uh, Labour, just because, yeah, it's time for a change and I don't think things can get much worse. I don't think that things could get much worse. Put yeah, that on your battle bus. Yeah, indeed. I mean, look, if you're Labour HQ listening to this, I think that you would be quite naive to assume these switches were locked in. Yeah. Uh, now that's not to say they're going to go back to the Conservatives, but I wonder whether the bigger risk is that, you know, they get ex- they get they get sort of more excited by a sort of a Lib Dem or a Green, splits that anti-Tory vote a little bit, yeah. um, or they don't turn out at all. So, and remember, switches count twice. Yeah. You lose them from the Conservatives, one vote down, Labour gains them, one vote up. So they're really important for Labour to try and lock in, and at the moment, Starmer means, Starmer's lack of enthusiasm means they are there now, but they're not locked, locked in. Actually, it also makes me think, with all, all, the talk has gone quite quickly to Labour landslide, you know, big majority, you know. When that was the case in 2017, when you were uh, there with Theresa although you were there after the election in 2017, we must stress you were not involved in the 2017 election. But this sense that Theresa May was going to get a massive majority actually played its own part in the campaign, that people said, well, if that's going to happen, it's OK, I can vote for my decent local Labour MP or a Lib Dem or, or so on. You know, the, and actually this sense that Keir Starmer doesn't deserve a big majority, if that starts playing into it, people think, well, he's going to win anyway, so I can go off to the Greens or stick with the Tories or go to the Lib Dems. That can, that, just the narrative of what might happen in the election will play a part in it. 
let's move on because we want to make sure we get to this. Um, because there's obviously a big choice this week. You know, last week we had Ed Davey at the Lib Dems, played crazy golf with him. So far, Rishi Sunak has declined my invitation to play crazy golf this week. Uh, we'll have Keir Starmer next week. Don't know what we're going to do with him. Uh, so you asked him to play Snog, Marry, Avoid. Why did you ask them to play that, James? This is high-caliber intellectual polling. That's all we do at JL Partners, and uh, we wanted to do this for a bit of a laugh for radio, but also to get a sense of uh, perhaps the reasons they might give and what they might tell to us. To try and get under the skin of people's knee, you know, immediate guttural sort of reactions to to the three leaders. So here we are. Then this is Rishi Sunak, Keir Starmer, Ed Davey, Snog, Marry, Avoid. Well, obviously, I want Labour to come in power. I've, I decided that a while ago. Um, I'd avoid. Conservatives because they've let me down. I've been a Conservative voter for as long as I can remember. And yeah, I guess I'd snog the Lib Dem guy just because I don't know much about him and it's a, a little one-time one kiss. I'd marry Keir Starmer. I want to give him a go. I would snog Ed because I know nothing about him and I'd probably want to get to know the Lib Dems a little more going into the next election and I'd avoid Rishi. Give the Lib Dems... Uh, um, I don't know much about him, so snog him, get to know him, avoid <laughs> Richard Sunak. <laughs> Sounds terrible that I don't it. Um, and marry Keir Starmer, give him a chance. I just don't think Ed would be, yeah, the snog. I don't think he would. Sorry, Ed. Do quite like Ed, but not in that way. <laughs> I'd marry Rishi Sunak because he's rich and then divorce him pretty soon after. Snog, Keir Starman. No, no, Keir Starman. Yeah, just because. And avoid the other one just because I don't know who he is, so it'd be quite easy to avoid him. Avoid Richie Sunak. Marry um, Keir Starman, give him a chance. And um, I'll snog Ed just as a quick cheeky one, see what he's about. If I like what I see, then getting a divorce with Keir and getting a second marriage with um, Ed. Well, Mrs. Davy needs to look out by the sound of it. They're very trusting of Ed Davy, aren't they? Yeah. They're sort of, you know, very happy to, you know, give him a bit of a snog and, you know, they're pretty I mean, mainly because they don't know who he is. Yeah. yeah. They're very trusting. Very, yeah, trusting. very trusting. But obviously, it's something about like Lib Dems. Yes. Um, uh, marry Rishi Sunak because he's rich. You know, that speaks to the. Again, it's a way of, it's just a way of d- getting to how people talk about politicians. We're really trying to justify this, aren't yeah, we, Matt? Exactly. <laughs> I thought it was very funny. I know it is. And also, uh, the great thing is that even those who marry Keir Starmer, they did think there might be a divorce coming down further down the line. So they weren't, they weren't, they weren't full in, were they? They weren't. They weren't, all they weren't. In. Uh, you also then, because obviously on Wednesday, Rishi Sunak will be in the, in the I was going to say the big hall, it's not the big hall, the small hall over there where they're doing the speeches. Uh, and you asked him what music should he walk on to when he delivers his speech on Wednesday? What's the Star Wars theme? Imperial March. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just straight away that was like, yeah, that's his tune. <laughs> I don't think that we can trust him and he's gone to the dark side. Uh, we're li- living on a prayer. I don't know why, but it's popped in my head, The Show Must Go On by Queen. Um, and I think it's because it's actually a really sad song and it's, you know, he's he's dying at that point, but he's just got to keep going. Wow. 
Yeah, that does get us something, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the that's the sort of you know the the, the animal they feel sorry for. The there, show, the show that must, show must go on. Was, was Freddie Mercury really ill when he did sang that? I, I, I do not know. <laughs> I'm not the person to ask, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I do. Was, yeah. I mean, Darth Vader, you know, walking on. That's the first time we've had singing in the focus group. I think it is. She, she was that lady there. She was great. She was singing along quite a lot of a lot of it afterwards. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, that is, you know, but the show must go on because he's sort of dying. Plus, he's a bit evil because he's Darth Vader. It's and not, it's the dark not fantastic, is it? No, it's really not. It's really not. So, if you were, and maybe you'll bump into him in the bar later with Rishi Sunak, if you were advising Rishi Sunak now, what would you be telling him based on that group of people who voted Conservative in 2019? Uh, they've moved to Labour. How does he get them back? I think he's got to try and find things over the next year or so that are actually going to make a difference to people's lives. Now he can't make, he can't just rewire the economy overnight. So he needs to find some of these policy things that are actually making a difference around people, you know, to their, you know, children's lives, to, you know, to theirs. Uh, not massive fixes, but just things that feel like, oh, they're actually able to do something. And then make sure the message sings, because all of these different policies, they're all well and good, but it's a bit like baubles without the Christmas tree if you don't have a message and a brand behind it. And they'll want to distinguish that very, very sharply with Keir Starmer, because that's the opening for the Conservatives. If you're listening to this, you're thinking Keir Starmer is weak on the... On, on, on with the voters and you want to uh, contrast that but you've got to have that positive vision in order to do so James it's lovely to see you thank you for um, actually while you're here do you want to go at the steady hand game oh go on then so James uh, so we had uh, Victoria Atkins the Treasury Minister did the steady hand game uh, it got 49 seconds with no buzzes so right. we had 5 seconds for each buzz Michael Fabricant did it during the news and they refused to do it on the radio okay so uh, you need to go around the um, steady hand game the Times Radio steady hand game while reciting Rishi Sunak's five pledges. Okay. As quick as you can to get on the leaderboard. So uh, let's put a mic there so we can hear the buzzing machine. Uh, okay, very good. James right. Johnson, on your marks, get set, go! Okay, halve inflation, stop the votes, cut waiting lists, uh, grow the economy, reduce the debt. Very good. You, you've now just got a clear run to. So the, the first half. Oh, oh there's, that's one That's one buzz. That's, one, oh, that's dear. another one. It was all going so well. There's two buzzes. It's quite hard, this, isn't it? There's three buzzes. Oh dear. That's four. Oh, now I've got to turn it. Now I haven't now, got any turn. Oh five dear. buzzes. Six buzzes. Okay. Right. Five pledges, six buzzes. Yeah, how, 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 what was the time on that? 28. Plus 30. 28 seconds. 58. I mean, not bad, given that... So you are slower than Victoria Atkins, but you did buzz it six times. This is what I'm here to do, the focus groups on Times Radio, <laughs> not, not the electric game. James, lovely to see you. James Johnson there from JL Partners will be back. Uh, actually, we're doing another focus group next week, are we, off the back of Party Common Season? We absolutely are for uh, how people responded to Keir Starmer's speech. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Catch me live at the Tory Party Conference, 10 till 1, Tuesday and Wednesday. Then next week, I'll be live at the Labour Party Conference, Monday and Tuesday. And then next Friday, so Friday the 13th of October, you can come and see us doing the show live at the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Uh, just go to CheltenhamLiteratureFestivals.com uh, to get tickets to the Times Radio Debate. It's midday on Friday, October the 13th, as we ask, what year is it? Is it 97, 92, 74, 59? Uh, we'll discuss that with Patrick McGuire, Kate McCann, Aisha Azarika and John Curtis. That's the Times Radio Debate at Cheltenham Literature Festival. Uh, just go to CheltenhamFestivals.com uh, and get your tickets. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.